Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, there is a chance we could see some regions of Ontario getting placed into lockdown by the end of the week. If it is imminent, what's it going to do for us? We'll talk about that. We're all in this together. That's a quote we've heard from politicians of all stripes. But in this case, we're not all in this together when it comes to pay and the salary increases. Scott Radley writes about it, and he's going to join us to talk about it. And the province will be reimbursing the City of London for rank balloting that got knocked off by provincial edict. It's not really the kind of money they were looking for, though. We'll talk with uh, Ward 7 Councillor Josh Morgan about that. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday on the uh, the, the Daily Briefing, uh, the Premier said once again the numbers are troubling and uh, you know we may have to do something quite serious about that. And he's talking about more measures, more restrictions, I guess, is what he's hinting at, uh, probably to be announced later on in the week. So <laughs> a lot of talk, and, and we're not sure just what sort of action is going to follow. So what is going to happen? What can we expect from the Premier and from the uh, provincial government about new restrictions that, that he's been hitting at? Let's bring Richard Brennan into the conversation, retired journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years and is a keen follower, of course, about what's still going on over there. Uh, Badger, thanks so much for the time. Glad you could hop in with us. Uh, first of all, your assessment on, on these daily briefings and, and you know, the, the Premier, usually with three or four of his ministers in behind them taking turns at this, is that helpful or hurtful for what we're trying to do here? It feels more like a Chinese water torture, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, it's just this slow, slow drip, and we know where this is headed. This is headed to a lockdown, and I can see what the Premier's doing. You know, Christmas time stores, I mean, uh, they rely on the Christmas sales for a huge part of their year's intake. So he's trying to hold off as long as he can, but we're, it's only, uh, he's holding off on the inevitable, and that's going to be a shutdown. In, in the hot hot spots, in particular in the GTHA. So that's where we're going. It's just a matter of when and how we get there. Okay, but if that's the case, and I don't disagree with you, I, I get the sense that that's the, the intention he has along the way here. Why not just rip the Band-Aid off? Why are they doing this in such a piecemeal fashion? Well, just for, just for that reason, I think they're trying to you know, let restaurants and, and, and stores get as much income as they can before they press the button. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a hard thing to do what, what, what they're doing because there's some areas of the GTHA that are fine. And there's others that are just, you know, out of sight, you know, people are getting it left, right and center. People are dying. So it, it's, it's so hard to say, well, let's, let's put in the, or across this blanket policy that we're going to shut it right down for everybody. But in the end, that's what's going to happen and it's a matter of is it going to be before christmas or after christmas i mean what the argument is i think what he's going to start doing is is bringing shutdowns to the hot spots and that that's how it'll be a, a slow introduction that's how he'll do it i think and then if that doesn't work then the, we're we're going to have a you know a certainly a i don't know about a province-wide shutdown but certainly a gtha shutdown 
it, there's no good time to do something like that, obviously, but this clearly is the worst possible time of the year from a business standpoint for this to happen. I mean, everybody, I'm sure, has heard you know all the commercials over the last couple of days about Black Friday. And just to remind people the whole, about the whole thing and where that started, it's actually an American phenomenon of Black Friday. It's supposed to be the day after American Thanksgiving, which is always on a Thursday. And the stores open and there's all sorts of sales, and they call it Black because that's the one day of the year that retailers expect to make it so much money that they can finish the year in the black and not in red ink. Uh, we've kind of adopted it up here, but boy, if there's going to be a shutdown, these guys are already struggling. Some of them are, are you know, way in over their heads debt-wise already. Uh, if there's a shutdown right now, a lot of these places may not open again. Well, Bill, I don't know if you, you saw that story. I'm sure you did. 50% of the hotels in Canada are saying that they're on the brink of bankruptcy. 50%. I can believe that. So what does that tell you? I mean, think this is tough for everybody who, you know, supplies a service of any sort. I mean, it just, you know, it's it's crazy. People are, you know, stores are just on, on the edge. All kinds of businesses are on the edge. So they're really hoping, you know, that, you know, they don't drop the hammer before Christmas, because they they rely so much on that, and I can certainly understand that. But then you have to weigh, you have to weigh stores and income and business to people's lives, and that's where the balance is. And I think that's what they're trying to weigh right now. But there's going to be a tipping points coming, and that's where you know so many people will be getting it and dying, particularly in the long-term care homes. That I have no choice but to bring it in. Here's here's the problem that I've got with that, and and, I, and I've talked to Mayor Eisenberger. We've talked with Mayor Holder in London. We've talked with Mary Ann Mead Ward in Burlington. Oh, mayors all over the place that are impacted by this, and so are the communities. When they have these daily briefings and they've talked about this, even you know back in the first wave, and they talked about restrictions and shutdowns and things of this nature, the question that many people in the in the, the Queens Park uh, media have been asking the premier or whichever minister seems to be there is, show me the data that shows me that that's the retail stores that are part of the cause of this spike, because I don't. I'm not. I don't. I'm, I don't buy in this. I mean, you know, it's. We know for a fact from the medical experts that it's public or private gatherings that seem to be spiking this, and it's not people walking into stores or going to the restaurants and sitting there with only ten people in the building. That doesn't seem to be the problem. So, the, the, the obvious question that they're going to be asking, and I think it's a justifiable question: Why are you doing this? Because that's not where the problem is. Well, that's part part of the, uh, partial the problem we've had so far is that the government has withheld information and data to tell. So we know what's going on. So the public deserves to know what's happening, what the data is saying, what, what the experts are saying. They deserve to know that. And right now, we're not getting it. In fact, they're, uh, they're, you know, they're required to, uh, to sign an NDA. The various uh, health unit heads or, you know, so they don't talk about it. Well, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, what's that all about? Have you ever heard of something like that before? We don't want uh, the, it, we don't want the people or the experts speaking out. That's that's very Trumpian, isn't it? Well, it just it doesn't make sense to me. But again, you know, information is power, and government loves information, and that's what that's what's feeding this more. You know, as much as anything, and they're trying to they're you know they're trying to be. The, the, the father in the room 
Well, you know, you know why? Because I told you so. And that's that's where we're at right now. And that's that's not what you know adults in this in this province deserve. They deserve answers, and they deserve to be told what's happening, where we're going next, and what is the end result here. And we're not getting that. So, the, the tone of the conversation, and and you know, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It might be today. It might be Friday. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, is probably going to be, well, as you just indicated, probably targeted closures. Uh, but where where's the, the, the real measures that need to be addressed? Uh, I mentioned this earlier in the week, of course. Uh, Saskatchewan saw a spike, nowhere near as bad as Ontario, certainly. But uh, but Premier Mo immediately enforced and, and, and initiated a, a mandatory mask ban for the entire province. Everybody. It's not, it's not if you'd like to. It's you do it. Uh, Governor of Ohio did the exact same thing just a couple of days ago because of the spike they've seen. In this province, the premier said, well, we don't want to really go that far. Why not? Well, that's that's a good question. And I think, you know, that, that should have been implemented a long time ago. But, you know, you can implement that. And then you'll still get people having 100 people at a party and, and you know, and thinking nothing's going to happen. So that's, that in, in is where the problem lies in, to a great extent, that some people just aren't listening. I shake my head every day when I hear about these stories, and I go, how could that be? Where do they live? Don't they listen to, you know, TV, radio, the politicians, everybody, to say, we're in, we've got a problem here, uh, and we need to address it. And part of the way that we're going to address that is for everybody to wear a mask. You know, and it's a simple thing to do, but I'll tell you, some people aren't getting that message. They're still living like, you know, it, like it's just ordinary times. Well, I'm afraid it's not ordinary times, and they better get with the program because things are getting worse. You just have to see those numbers every day. Well, and it's not, you know, the answer to this. Masking is not the answer. But any doctor we've talked to, and heaven knows we've talked to a lot of them since since February, uh, indicate the same thing, that if you don't do these things, uh, it's going to spread. That's all there is to it. A mask is not good enough. You've got to social distance as well. Social distance is, is not good enough unless you're doing the mask thing. Uh, there's a package deal, and we know it. And I, I, I don't know that they're not listening. They just don't care. I mean, there's some non-believers. We get that. Uh, and, and sadly, and, and they're part of the problem as well. But other people, you're right. I mean, they've got a mask on now, and they figured, okay, I've got to ha- have this on. I really don't want to, but it says right on the door of the grocery store here, I have to. But they're not social distancing. They're carrying on as if it's business as usual, and and that's part of the problem. And that's that's not that's that's you've got to be educated about this. I mean, I, I don't know if people understand the severity of it, but I'm not sure some of the people at Queens Park understand the severity of it. Well, yesterday, you know, we had a, a member, uh, a conservative member, wearing a bandana instead of a mask. And some people say, well, you know, I mean, it's better than nothing. And other people say, well, it's ridiculous. It, that's not doing anything. So, I mean, everybody's got to get on the same page here. I don't know what they have to do or what kind of message they can send out and how many times they have to say it before people get the message. That's the irritating part of this. And as we used to see in, in, at Queen's Park in, in the gallery, you know, you can't legislate against stupidity. Nope. And, 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 and that's, that's part of the problem here. It's that people, there are people out there that just don't get it. 
And there's, there's a, in part, the problem that's driving the numbers up. And we have to do something now. And I, that's what the cabinet's wrestling with right at this moment. Where's the balance? Business, commerce, people's lives. And so when is the, when's the tipping point coming? And that tipping point, I, many would argue, has arrived. Certainly the, many of the doctors uh, across the province are saying, that, that train's already here. It's arrived. And we better, you know, better do something about it now. And I, I'm afraid there just aren't, there, you know, that message isn't getting to some of the people at Queen's Park because that, like they say, that's, that here and now, and they're not dealing with the here and now. They're here. They're dealing with well, what may happen? Could it get a little better? You know, et cetera, et cetera. We have. They have to nail the hot spots down, and that's what you're going to see. I think from the uh, cabinet is there, the the uh, medical officer health and Peel is already saying we've got to do it. That's it. We've got to do it right now. And I think that's where you're going to. I, I'm afraid that they're going to rely on the municipalities to make that decision, and I don't think that's fair. I think it should be uh, the Queen's Park that says, okay, the hot spots, Toronto, Peel, Hamilton maybe as well. We've got things are going to shut down, and they're going to shut down as soon as we can possibly do it. But there's got to be some direction. At some point, you know, the, the province has to take the lead on this. You can't just download the responsibility to the municipalities. You know, it's their color-coding system. It's their data or lack of, you know, that are making the determination about where we're going to go and what the next steps are. Uh, but I'm not even sure if they understand that. I mean, I'm sure you saw the story on our webpage on CHML the other day. Uh, Paul Johnson, who, of course, is the director of the Emergency Operations Center, uh, has been on the phone ever since we were designated in, in, the, in red zone here in Hamilton. He doesn't understand. What, what does that mean? What does it mean we can do and can't do? And he's not getting very many answers from Queen's Park. That There should be a list prepared to say, okay, this is where you guys are right now. Here's what you can and can't do. They, don't, they can't seem to put their hand on something like that. And that but should, you know, that shouldn't be just available to the, you know, to the officials in Hamilton or Peel or wherever it might be. I should be able to open up my newspaper or listen to your radio and, and find this is okay. The red zone means this. Boom, 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 boom. That's what it means. There's no gray area. That's what it means. But we're not getting that. You know, we have to find out that, okay, it doesn't matter how big your arena is that there's just 10. Well, how come we're just finding that out now? Like, why wasn't that, say, regardless of how big your building is, how big your pool is, whatever, that there's just 10 people allowed? And it seems to come out in dribs and drabs, and that, that, that I find is irritating. Well, and it goes right back to your original point about noncompliance. If people don't understand or if people don't respect the people that are making the decisions, uh, they're, they're not going to obey them. They're not going to adhere to any of that stuff. And I think you're seeing a fair bit of that right now where they, they think, ah, you know, these guys don't understand. They don't know what they're doing. You've got to have some leadership and you've got to be you know, strong about what you're going to do. And you've got to make some tough calls here. And I, I, I know that there's some form of shutdown coming. I think that's inevitable. And we're probably going to hear about it before the weekend comes along. Uh, but I'm not so sure that that's actually going to be the solution here. And I, I think there were other options. And i you know, I keep going back to the mandatory mask, but there are other things uh, that other jurisdictions have been doing uh, that we haven't done. And, and I guess maybe my message to the Premier would be that it's never too late to do the right thing. 
and uh, they don't seem to make a, make that giant step, which other jurisdictions have already done. Of course, they're not going to be popular if they do something like that. But if it's saving lives, it's worth it. Tough decisions have to be made, Bill, and that's why that's why uh, we elect these politicians to make those tough decisions. And the time has come. You can't hold off any longer, and that tough decision has to be made now. And, and you know, and, and they've swung and missed it a few. They've hit from I, I agree with their decision yesterday not to extend the school holiday uh, because the data now shows that the kids in school are actually in pretty safe conditions right now. That's not the problem. The only cases that seem to have manifested themselves in schools have come from outside, not from within the school. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I agree with that. I think they're bang on with that. Now, that could change, of course, depending on how the numbers go over the next month or so. But, you know, they, they've got to be consistent about this sort of thing. Anyway, uh, we got to run. We'll see what the Premier says today and tomorrow. Uh, and I think, obviously, we're going to have to pick up this conversation after we get some data on this. As always, Richard, thanks so much for the time. Great talking with you again today. Okay, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We hear the phrase time and time and time again, especially from our political leaders, we're all in this together. Well, not really. Uh, that's not really the case, especially when it comes to income. Scott Radley writes about it in the Hamilton Spectator. His uh, piece that uh, you may have seen in yesterday's uh, spec says it's time for politicians to temporarily cut their pay. Scott, of course, is the host of the Scott Radley Show every weeknight here on 900 CHML, and you can catch his wonderful prose in the Spectator as well. Scott, thanks for joining us on the program today and getting up early after a busy day for you yesterday. No problem, uh, Bill. Thanks. Very interesting piece. Very timely. Well, look, we're, we're, we're heading into a, uh, well, in Hamilton, we're in the red zone now, which is very scary for many, many, many local businesses. We're not in a lockdown, but the rules essentially are, or the, the, the guidelines are, don't really go out of your house, don't do a lot of things. There's a lot of businesses right now heading into Christmas for the next month that are pretty terrified. And we know that... Statistics Canada tells us that September to September, 2019 to 2020, that we are 28,000, almost 29,000 jobs short of where we were last year. We are hurting. A lot of people are hurting, and I'm sure it's the same everywhere. And, you know, it seems to me that this is one of those times, especially when the public sector has been largely untouched by what's been going on. And there may come a point when people are going to have to be asked to, to do something about this, to take cuts or to whatever else. This is a time when it would be, a, I think, a really um, a strong moment for politicians to say, you know what, what you're lying there. We're all in this together. We hear this all the time. We hear grim-faced mm-hmm. people say we're all in this together. Demonstrate that. And this is not punitive. I'm not, I'm not arguing that you know, local politicians aren't working hard. They are. I'm not arguing that this is something punitive against their performance. I'm saying, I use the phrase in the, in the piece, humble leadership. This is a chance to show humble leadership and say, we recognize how many of our constituents are really hurting or really scared about what the, where their business or employment is. And we recognize that this is an opportunity to show we are in this together with you. Even even if it's only in kind of a symbolic way, at least it doesn't put you in a position to look like you're untouched. You're, you're supposed to be the representative of the people and reflective of the people. And I don't think that, that having your salary 
above the fray and, and protected and then ask people to make lots of sacrifices looks great. Listen, because I've heard that argument too. Well, it would, you know, it'd be a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket, and and there's nothing wrong with public officials being symbolic and and doing something like this. And as you point out of the piece, a number of jurisdictions, uh, New Zealand comes to mind. Uh, there's there's a bunch of them you've listed here. Japan, uh, India, yeah, um, uh, South South Africa, even here in Alberta, the the government has done it. There are places. Uh, and, and they have not been forced to do it. I mean, they just announced, you know what, these are tough times, and, and so we're going to do this. And at a municipal point, uh, it makes all kinds of sense, too. How many times have you and I, over the last couple of months, talked about, you know, how the city is impacted because they're losing revenue? You know, public transit ridership is down. Well, that's money that they were counting on that's not going to be there. Uh, you know, user fees for arenas and things of this nature. So, in other words, it's impacting the municipal budget, uh, which means that they don't have as much money coming in. So, they've announced that, okay, we're going to have to do some stuff, maybe, you know, reduce hours and places like that. Reduce the pay, too. That's an expense. And, and as you say, not forever. But take a pay cut, just like everyone else has had to. I mean, people that are running businesses uh, have had to look at this and say, okay, fine, uh, especially people that are running their own business uh, and are seeing their, their margins, if they even had margins, starting to dwindle. They're going to say, well, you know what, I guess I'm not going to take that $2,000 out this month. I guess I'm just going to have to leave it into the business. Uh, counselors could do that and probably should do that. Uh, but you're not you're limiting this to municipal, are you? A couple things there. No. Uh, first of all, no. Second of all, you know, uh, symbolism, there's a lot of places. There's tons of places where we see politicians lining up for symbolism. When, when the prime minister or someone goes and places a wreath on Remembrance Day, which we just had, what's that? I mean, that's not the prime minister going to battle. That's the prime minister making a symbol of how we remember and things. And it's a powerful symbol when that happens, and we applaud those kind of things. And third, we are right now here in Hamilton in budget talks. And we are, you know, the, the city staff, when they, their first budget report came out, talked about a 4% increase. Now, councillors have said, no, we're going to whittle it down. And some councillors have said, no, we're going to get it down to zero, which seems almost impossible considering something like 2% of that is baked in with increases that are already negotiated to public workers. So you would, to get to zero, you're going to have to actually cut 2% of the budget from where it was to begin with, which seems very, very difficult. Um, so you've got people who, as you say, Bill, are hurting or businesses are in difficulty who potentially are now facing property tax increases. And yes, if, if, if a politician were to take a temporary cut, because one more thing, I am not, of the, I'm not one of the people who is constantly harping for politicians to be paid less to hack and slash away at their salaries. I don't believe that it's beneficial to society to pay our politicians nothing because then you don't attract good people. In I, I agree. I agree. This is not about being punitive in some way, as I said. It's a temporary thing. But if you are now looking to find ways to cut and find ways to trim and maybe having to look at programs or, as you say, services or arenas or whatever, take lead in front. Be the one who blazes the trail and say, here, I tell you what, we're going to be asking a lot not just with your behavior, but with your money that, you know, we're, we're having to make these tough decisions. We are going to, in this unique, unique circumstance, we are going to show that we are in front of this and we stand with you and we are doing something ourselves. I think that is a potent message. And I, I've heard some people, some people have written and 
written to me and said, no, you're an idiot. This has nothing. Now your politicians will just feel better about themselves if they do this. And all it'll do is allow them to pat themselves on the back. Okay, maybe. Maybe some of them will feel that way. But I also feel a lot of people then will think this then gives them the moral high, just the high ground when they have to then announce some cuts somewhere that are unpopular because all cuts are unpopular. And at least they can say, hey, yeah, we've had to make those cuts, but we also are cutting from ourselves. So the pain is everywhere. We've gone through this before, not with a a pandemic, certainly, but with economic hardship. And and we saw that happen 2009, 2010 during that uh, recession, which we thought was the worst one of our lifetime. And so we're going through this one now. And and some of the stuff that happened there really, really bothered me. you know, um, but we were, you know, biting the bullet. There were some corporations that, that had unpaid days off. In other words, or, you know, paid, and we all had to bite that. And I would say, okay, fine. It's essentially taking a pay cut when you have to do that. But we thought, all right, I'd rather do that than have people laid off. We'll all take a little bit of the pain. Then I discovered, and this was around 2010. You may remember this, this, this segment of the show. We discovered a, a, a very little known segment of, of the, uh, the law that, uh, governs how members of parliament are paid that said no matter what the economic circumstance in the country their pension plan has to be made whole so while we were sucking it up and losing money and other people's pension plans were being decimated by the recession the the federal mps made sure that there's that was the law that we had to contribute to that even though we were making less and i thought this is just unfair it's it's a two-tier system and it sucks and and we're in the same boat right now you know, a lot of people are hurting right now, and we're being told that we, by all levels of government, that, you know, austerity is going to have to be the thing. You're all going to have to suck it up a little bit. But but they're not. You know, they're Bill, still being paid. And, and I'm glad you don't want to morph this into, you know, these guys all get paid too much, because I, I, I don't want to go there either. There are no, some people some people at all three levels of government that make every penny of, of the money that they are. They work that hard. Others are placeholders, and it's it's up to you to decide who's who in a situation like that. But this is one time when you know, they can, in unison, and this is, I think, was the thrust of your column, in unison just say, you know what, we are all in this together, so we're going to take a hit just like you guys are taking a hit. Go one step further than that, Bill, and, and I mentioned it before. I mean, there. yes, I know there will be those who say, well, sure, the public sector has taken some hits. But the areas where the public sector has taken hits largely is summer students have not been hired or a few jobs that were vacated because of retirement or moving on have not been filled. But there's been almost nothing that has been um, brought to the public sector workers to say, look, private sector is down X percent in income. Many, many businesses that have invested their life savings are struggling, and we've asked almost nothing of the public sector. So this, we're all in this together, is a broader issue than just politicians. And, I, I mean, frankly, I believe that should be a step taken. I, I believe that at the very least, city council here, and you can talk about politicians at higher levels, should be going to the public sector unions that have negotiated the increases for next year and said, look, we are asking you as a sign of being good corporate and good citizens, we're asking you to defer those increases for a year or two. We won't even necessarily ask you for cuts because, Bill, you and I both know and everyone listening that if you went to the public sector unions and demanded cuts, you're in an apocalyptic fight. That's not going to happen. But to say at least under these horrible economic circumstances, can we defer the increases for a year or two until we get out of this thing? But if you are a politician and you yourself have made no effort to 
do anything to put your skin in the game? How do you go to anybody and ask them to make the sacrifices? Because they're just going to turn around and say, well, you're not. And I don't blame them for saying that. Everybody does that kind of thing. If you, Bill, if you say to your kid, when you're teaching them rules of the road and stuff, don't walk across the street without looking both ways. And then you immediately walk across the street without looking both ways. What is, why is your kid going to do anything you tell them? So, look, I, I, I think this is a step, and I'm going to say it for the third time because I think it gets lost in this discussion. This is not a punitive thing. This is not a slam politicians. This is not a you're doing a horrible job. This is not a we hate you. This is none of that thing. This is simply, uh, I'll use my phrase again, an act of humble leadership, which I think we can use. We don't always need to have people flexing muscles in power. Humble leadership is a good way to go sometimes, and this is a way to do it. And, and I know that there have been some individuals, that, and I don't know that it's happened municipally. It certainly hasn't happened municipally here, but federally and provincially, there have been some individuals. That, by the way, they got increases, salary increases just a couple of months ago. And they've said, okay, we're going we're gonna to donate that to charities. And, and that's a laudable thing. That's great. But we're talking about leaving money on the table uh, because governments need money uh, to, you know, fund for whatever services they're offering in situations like that. It, it's, the grander move here is to simply say we're not taking the pay, cut, or the pay increase this year. Okay, we're just going to leave it alone. Uh, and and that's it's not more than a noble thing to do. It's, it makes economic sense for the, for them to do that. And and if they want to set a bar until they say, okay, we've we're, you know we've we've come out of the hole here. All right, then we can talk about reinstatement and just go back to where they were. And there's not going to be any big fuss about that. But it it, it is a gesture, and it might be symbolic in some people's minds. But I think it's an important move to make. And I was surprised, frankly, because uh, it was. I think it was just around the time this thing started to, to really become known. It would be about February when the, the, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who I think we've all come to respect over the last couple of years, just announced, by the way, uh, everybody in our government right now is taking a pay cut, uh, 20%, bingo, right off the board. There was no that's debate, that's no discussion. They just did it. Bill. It's such yeah. political awareness. And yeah. good for her because she just won, what did she win, like 90% of her? Like, yeah. It was an incredible victory. There's a reason. There's a reason why certain people seem to resonate with the public, and it's a political awareness. That was it right there. It's, it's, it's not saying we're in this together. It's showing that we're all in this together, and that's, exactly. that's I think, what we're looking for. That's, I, I, but it's got to come from them. You know, we, we, you know, we're not going to do – I'm sure we're going to get a reaction on social media. There will be some tweets about this, some Facebook posts. Yeah, they should do that. It's got to come from them. The motivation has to be from within. Just, you know, the, the mayors, the councillors uh, of all these communities, not just this one, of all of them, have to step up and say, you know what, we're, we're going to, you know, tighten our belts too, and we don't need to do this right now. We'll take the money uh, when the time is right, but not right now. But I don't hear that discussion happening. You know, you just said it again, and I think it's worth mentioning. I don't want, I don't think anybody, I hope nobody wants this to have to be some sort of thing written into law that the salary is cut, because I don't think that's the point. I don't think you want to reduce this permanently. I think you just want to do it to ride this out. And the other point is what people will say, well, what about next time? What about the next time the economy slumps a little bit? Are we expecting them to do it again? Uh, and my answer is this. Next time we have a worldwide pandemic in which the city of Hamilton loses almost 30,000 jobs in a year, and we're asking people not to leave their house, basically, except for emergencies, leading up to Christmas time, and many, many, many businesses in this city have already closed and are teetering on the brink of closing. Next time all that happens, 
yes, we'll probably ask you to do it again. But in a, in a regular business slowdown, this is, this is, what's the word that has been used a trillion times, Bill? Unprecedented. This is yep. not your normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill economic slowdown. This is an unprecedented, unique moment. This is the greatest, unless you are quite elderly now, this is the greatest economic difficult moment of our lifetime probably ever will be those of us who hasn't lived haven't lived through the depression or a world war um you know i i I think we're talking about something that is unique from the every you know cycle recession or difficult time desperate times call for desperate measures i mean i know i know that sounds trite and it's a cliche but uh it's it should be part of the guiding principles i think for elected officials in, in times like these uh, to simply say, hey, you know, we're, we're generating less revenue right now. And by the way, they're not because they're still asking for our taxes. Uh, but, you know, we've got to tighten our belts and we've got to bite the bullet just like everyone else is doing. It's, it's, it's a great column, and I think it's going to motivate an awful lot of discussion. Uh, I, I know that the people that are in elected office at all three levels around these areas, are, they read this, they know what, about, what it's all about, uh, I just want to see who's going to step up, and, and I'd be very surprised if someone did. But I, I pleasantly surprised if someone did. But uh, you know, we're waiting. That was the yesterday's newspaper, and I've seen nothing, no reaction from anybody yet, and from, uh, from the elected think, officials. I know you got to run, but what do you think happens? Because we have elections coming up. We have a municipal election in a couple of years. Now that's yep. still a couple of years off. But what does it do? Even if even if it's not for a philanthropic gesture. Even if it's just as a political gesture, I'm kind of surprised that no one has thought to do this before now, just because I'm pretty sure that if you did, that resonates with people politically, and they remember that stuff. So that, that, that to me, is one of the other reasons I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened, just as a, an awareness thing of saying, man, I want to get reelected. Here's a great way. Now, that's cynical to do it for that reason, but it's, it, I really think that people would notice there isn't a person in elected office at any level that isn't in some place, in some time in the, in the back of their mind, thinking, okay, what about my re-election? That's, that's, that's never a stated goal, but you know it's there. And, and, and again, that's not being overly cynical. Some of them still do great work in the meantime, but they're still worried about re-election. Others, others are, are, are you know, obsessed with re-election. No, I don't want to vote that way because, you know, they, I, I might anger some people and I won't, won't get re-elected. This, this is a positive step. Let, let's see who takes it. We'll see what happens in the next couple of days. Anyway, great piece, Scott. Thanks so much for this. Really appreciate the time today. Anytime, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to give you an update on a story that uh, we touched on a few weeks ago, and that was a uh, a mandate from the provincial government uh, that uh, in the next municipal election, which is going to be about two years from now, that uh, the only way that we as citizens are going to be able to vote is this first past the post system whoever gets the most votes wins uh and the monkey wrench in the works here is that some cities had entertained the idea and were moving towards ranked balloting in fact one of them already did it as you know in london uh they used ranked balloting in the last municipal election and uh this was like a clause in a bill about covid 19 stuff it really had not much to do with covid 19 at all but it was thrown in there and uh the the province is not backing down on this so I know that London City Council was pretty upset about this, and I know Mayor Holder got in touch with some of the folks at Queen's Park. And, uh, well, they've offered some compensation, I guess, to say, well, yeah, it cost you a lot of money to go to ranked balloting, and now you're not going to do that. 
but what they're offering is uh, a pittance, actually, of the of the real cost. Josh Morgan is the counselor for Ward 7 in the uh, City of London, joining us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, counselor, thanks so much for the time. Glad you could hop on with us today. Yeah, glad to be here, for sure. This is a, this is a mess right from the get-go, and, and as we talked about, you know, when the bill was introduced, uh, it really it was a COVID relief bill that talked about funding, and all of a sudden they throw something in there about municipal elections. And I know London councils ticked off about this, but I've talked to people in Burlington Council, uh, Cambridge, a number of councils that were ready to go with this in the next election, and everybody's scratching their heads and say, why are you guys sticking your nose in here? That, that's pretty much the, the, the consensus, isn't it? Yeah, well, whether you like rank ballots or not, what, what this was was the ability for local residents and, and local councils to make a decision about the election system that they want to have, and, and that's about local decision-making. So, you know, rightly so, municipal councils are, are, are not happy when uh, when the ability to, um, you know, for, for that self-determination on issues is, is taken away by the province. So I think that's why you see a number of other uh, colleagues across the province upset as well. Well, one of the things that really concerned me about it is it, it seemed to me to, to smack of, well, that was a liberal policy and, you know, we're not the liberals, so we're just going to tear it down. And I, I, if there's no rationalization for it, I don't even understand why they're doing that, except for, you know, just political payback. That seems to be the, the motivation here, because they didn't really explain any logical reason to you, did they? No, there was there was no consultation uh, on uh, on this move, and as you said, it was it was part of a larger omnibus bill. Um, frankly, it was I think a bullet point in in one of the releases on the bill, and uh, and no one no one really saw it coming. Um, so that's that's concerning because you know we try to be thoughtful and and plan ahead and prudent with uh, the way we do things, and so when we moved to a ranked ballot system uh, in 2018, uh, we did things to ensure that. We were maximizing, excuse me, maximizing the money we're spending. So, you know, we signed multi-election contracts with our vendor and uh, you know, took on costs that would be expected to be one time. And when, when you take on costs that you don't have to bear again, they're investments. When the province makes change like this, they become sunk costs and, and, and wasted money, right? So that, that's got us pretty frustrated. And there are one-time costs. We'll talk about those in just a couple of seconds. Uh, but, it, you know, it's it's difficult to, to comprehend and get their heads around this and and i think the thing that really bothered me because there was some questioning of the premier the day that this finally was was made public and was in the news you know during his daily briefing and his explanation uh, was was rather puzzling if you recall josh he basically said well you know the, the ranked balloting is pretty complicated and people have got enough on their minds with covid so we don't want them to have to go through that uh, first of all, it's an insult to the people of London uh, to suggest that, you know, well, they can't get their head around that. You guys have already done that. You proved that the system works. Yeah, and it's not really complicated. It's it's just ranking your preferences uh, on a ballot, and, and people rank their preferences each and every day. I, I remember when I was explaining, um, you know, the voting system to my mom, who, you know, would, would have the, the regular, this sounds, this sounds complicated, I'm not sure about this. Uh, my, my daughter was there, and I said, she had Skittles on the table because my mom had given them because that's what grandmas do. And uh, I said, you know, rank those Skittles from your favorite to your least favorite. And she did it in about three seconds. And that, that's all ranked choice voting is, is ranking your preferences of candidates on a ballot. And, and that's good because you're able to communicate more information into the voting process than you otherwise would. And, and you know, more information from electors, in my opinion, is better than less when, when you're choosing someone to represent you. 
And there have been variations on this theme. I think I mentioned at the time, the first municipal election that I ran in back in the late 1990s when I was elected to Hamilton Council, uh, you elected two councillors per ward back in those days. At least that was the way it was. Obviously, everything has changed since then. It wasn't necessarily ranked, but you had two choices out of the seven or eight people that were on the ballot. So this is not mind-blowing to people. They, they can get their heads around this. Oh, yeah. Well, we used to have uh, before, but like this, this ranked ballot election was a relatively simple ballot based on previous ones we had in the city of London. At one point during our history, we had elect two representatives per ward, then four people for citywide border control, and, and then a mayor. But so, so you actually voted like six or seven times on this ballot when you included all the school board trustees. And, you know, the ballot last uh, election was relatively simple. It was laid out very clearly. It was very understandable. And almost 70% of Londoners, 70% of Londoners, took us up on, on the chance to give the, give give more information into the election process, so people got it and they used it. I, I know that in your initial reaction as a council was uh, through Mayor Holder, of course, uh, is to petition Queens Park for an exemption for that. That uh, didn't go anywhere, did it? No, and and you know what the the rationale we were using for that was the same rationale the province was putting out. Listen, this is not the time to make a change. We want you to focus on the pandemic. It, it will cost you money to make a change and. Given we had already switched to rank ballots, those are all the reasons why we wanted to just keep the existing system. So, you know, it was it was basically using some of the provincial arguments uh, as our case to say, you know, leave London alone and let us just continue with the status quo for the next election, because that is the least distracting, least costly path for us. Okay, so we've, I think we've covered a lot of the bases on the, the philosophical reason why I, I, it's a system worth trying, and that's why so many other municipalities I think we're, we're going to take the jump uh, for, for the uh, the next election, which is not going to happen now. But let's talk about money. I guess it always comes down to money. Uh, as you told us, when, when you initiated this process back in 2018, there's a one-time cost because you've got to change the, the whole way that things are done, and, and it was not insignificant, and uh, the province suggested that, well, there, there could be some compensation. Uh, the understanding we have right now is that what they're offering is about 10% of the money that you were seeking. Yeah, it is. Um, so what they're saying that they want to compensate us for is, is what we've identified as the costs of switching back to first-past-the-post, and, and they're going to completely ignore uh, all of the one-time investments that are now sunk costs that we made uh, when we when we switched. And, and let me tell you why. I'll give you one example of, of sure. why we think we should be compensated for this. When the provincial government came out with the option for municipalities to move to rank ballots, they didn't certify the voting equipment. They, they refused to. And so for the city of London to move in that direction, we actually had to hire an auditor uh, at $147,000 uh, to go through and ensure that the algorithm uh, was certified to correctly take the provincial regulations and translate that into a vote result. Once we've done that, third-party certification, uh, we basically paid for it instead of the province. And, and no other municipality is going to have to absorb that cost now, and nor would we in the future. Um, so we took that on as an investment, and we are, frankly we took it on as an investment for all municipalities considering switching over. And given that this is no longer an option, that is now a sunk and lost cost instead of an investment. And that's just one example of the types of things that we, we would have had to pay for once, but never had to invest in again. Did they understand that? I mean, was that explained to them? Well, Mayor Holder and, and our council are now engaging with the province. Uh, you know, we get the initial reaction was, yes, you know, that you, you'll get compensation. We're thinking about $50,000 because that's your cost of switching back. 
Um, I, I actually think that's a positive that they recognize that we should be compensated. And I think what we need to move now into is a discussion uh, on how much that compensation should really be. Because I think we have a very strong case to make uh, for some of these other costs. And, and that's what uh, that's what Mayor Holder is going to do. Try to cut through some of the, the rhetoric on this, because yeah, and again, I don't, I don't buy the explanation that the premier gave on this, but it, that's that's what they're doing, and they have a majority government, so this is going to happen. But the sense we got from from what we read on this, anyway, Josh, was that it's only for the upcoming election. If you if you or any other municipality wants to move back to, for instance, rank balloting uh, for the election after that, four years after that, uh, knock yourself out. Or I don't know that they actually gave you permission, but they didn't seem to extend it beyond the next election. Yeah, I think this is a, I think this is the way the legislation's uh, written. I, I actually was under the understanding that they were removing the option from uh, the legislation, and so it wouldn't be there for for existing and future elections. Um, so I have to look into that because that's the first time uh, I've heard that that particular comment. If, if that's the case, though, that's even more troubling for London because we'll have sure. to switch back and then consider switching another time, which is you know every time you switch, there's additional costs and. You know, some of those additional costs that our, our, um, our clerk has identified is when you switch an election system, you do have to do some additional advertising, education. Uh, you've got all of the, the printed material that you can reuse from election election to election that, you know, is, is all of ours is now branded with ranked choice voting. Um, so all of that has to re- be redone. And as you switch back and forth, you have, you have these costs that you, you really don't want to bear over multiple elections because you can reuse a lot of material and a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff that exists in the polling stations, and that all has to be redone. All the privacy screens have ranked choice voting branded on them. We, we can't use those again because we don't want to confuse people. So it's a real problem when, when you make a switch like this uh, without consultation because we certainly could have communicated all of these challenges that we would have faced before the decision was made rather than after. You know as an elected official that part of the discussion when you decide to enact any kind of a policy is, okay, what are the short-term and long-term impacts of this going to be? And are we missing something here that might happen? And that's a discussion that, that most councils and certainly you would think provincial and federal governments would have. I, I'm not so sure they had that discussion before they threw this little clause into that omnibus bill uh, because obviously you're concerned about this from a financial standpoint. Uh, I, I'm hearing now from some of the other communities that were moving towards rank balloting uh, that have already done some of the work that you've just talked about here, you know, to, to try to educate, and, and there's, there's cost to just about everything. Hey, this is going to be different. We've seen those commercials before. I, I hear that they're going to go knocking on the door of Queen's Park and say, wait a second here, are you going to cover this cost? And I, I don't know that anybody at Queen's Park anticipated that this was going to happen, that, that there was a financial ramification to, to such a simple little clause in this, in this omnibus bill. Yeah, well, the, the legislation requires a, a level of consultation with the public. And so anybody who is moving towards switching to ranked choice voting or ranked balloting would have started, uh, started expending some of that consultation cost to be able to make the decision. It, it's built right into the, the process. You can't switch unless you do adequate consultation with, uh, with the residents in your community. In some cases, that was referendums. And I got to tell you, referendums are not a cheap thing. Mm-hmm. Not a cheap thing to do. So uh, I know that other municipalities who did not make the switch started incurring some significant costs uh, uh, related to this, um, which were necessary as part of the, the legislation that allowed you to move uh, and consider the move to rank ballots. So is, is there going to be an impact on, on ratepayers now? I mean, you, you guys have already started talking about 2021 budgets. Uh, yeah, so I don't know yet. Um, I mean, certainly the, comp- the compensation moving forward will help. Um, we've already we've already spent the costs in the past, um, but uh, I'll be honest. You know, I, I think our residents and, and our council certainly feels like 
we, we lost, you know, we basically wasted some money. They, they used to be investments and now they're sunk costs. And, you know, we want to respect London taxpayers. And that's why we're, we're going to ask for, for some of that money back, because um, certainly there are really important things that we could use it on given the pandemic right now. And uh, frankly, we're, we're, we're glad that the province thinks compensation is appropriate. Um, it's really about the level for us now. Well, as the, uh, I guess the phrase is here, uh, uh, discussions are ongoing. Uh, that's uh, maybe the best way to wrap this up, and hopefully with some uh, some fruitful endings to it, too. Uh, Josh, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking some time to try to explain to us uh, what the status is right now. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.